Welcome to Now More Than Ever, a podcast about the critical importance of strengthening community connections to fresh, healthy food and local food producers. Now More Than Ever, the Farm to School Network is a necessary and invaluable force in aiding the transition to a safe and just school environment. The network works to enhance local food procurement, food and nutrition education, and edible gardens that will benefit students, educators, and farmers alike. Now More Than Ever focuses on how the Illinois Farm to School movement is cultivating strong local economies and healthy, flourishing communities. I'm your host, Annie Dysart, and Now More Than Ever is brought to you by the Illinois Farm to School Network at Seven Generations Ahead and made possible through funding from the USDA Community Systems Farm to School Grant Fund. The Illinois Farm to School Network is the Illinois core partner of the National Farm to School Network, an information, advocacy, and networking hub for communities working to bring local food sourcing and curriculum about nutrition and agriculture into educational environments. The USDA's Office of Community Food Systems helps child nutrition program operators incorporate local foods in the National School Lunch Program, as well as the Summer Food Service Program and Child and Adult Care Food Program. In addition, OCFS staff works with tribal communities to respond to their desire to better incorporate traditional foods into their meal programs. This is the Now More Than Ever podcast. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of Now More Than Ever. I'm your host, Annie Dysart, and today we have a very special guest with us. I'm here with Vanessa Harold. Thank you so much for being here today, Vanessa. Hi, Annie. I'm very happy to be here. All right, let's get right into it. I would love to get a short introduction from you talking about your background, yourself, and what you're doing at the Center for Integrated Agricultural Systems at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Thanks. My name is Vanessa Harold. I'm a farm to institution outreach specialist at CIS. And in my work, I very broadly support the development of more local foods getting into our local institutions like K-12 schools, early care centers, hospital, colleges, and business campuses. And that includes everything from helping our Wisconsin Farm to School Network move forward to resource development and research and evaluation, learning you know what folks on the ground really need to make these connections, and also running two of my favorite events, the Wisconsin Chili Lunch and the Great Lakes Great Apple Crunch. So you, more than a lot of people, I'm sure, would know the importance of having healthy, fresh, local food in anyone's diets. So what would you say are the benefits of increased procurement of regional healthy foods in cafeteria settings? There are so many benefits, and it kind of depends whose perspective you are looking at it from. So from the food service perspective, in a lot of ways, it's just a lot more fun to be dealing with really fresh or minimally processed foods where you know where they're coming from. They maybe look better when they're coming in. They're more fun to make and they can end up making more flavorful food or there's also less waste. You know, if you're getting fresh heads of lettuce that come in, you don't have to peel as many outer leaves off. So you're actually getting more bang for your buck, more product that's coming in. We really do also see that school meal programs that serve more farm to school products on the menu, whether it's because of the meal quality or the marketing, um, increased participation. And when we think of school food as a way to get healthy, nutritious food into kids, we want more kids showing up for lunch. So it's a good way to just increase that participation rate. 
for kids, you know, meals that are of higher quality, that um, have ingredients they're learning about, maybe from their farm to school lessons in the school garden or taste tests that they're doing are more likely to get consumed and be more interesting. And kids are also getting a lifelong sort of cafeteria classroom lesson every time they eat a meal with a really great food that especially if they're learning about it in the classroom. Obviously, it's really beneficial for farmers and for our local food vendors and food processors when they have the increased opportunity of selling to an institutional market, even during COVID. But in general times, institutions, school meals, early care sites, hospitals, colleges are serving a ton of food on a regular basis. And it's a great market opportunity for people who are growing food. So we want to be able to connect those people and create more market opportunities for our local and regional farmers. I agree with all of that. And you can't, you can't go wrong, you know? So what would you say based off of your years of experience, what have been some of the greatest obstacles you faced in leveraging food service purchasing to include more locally sourced foods? It is a super good question. And some of the answers are really general and some are actually very regional or state specific. And also as we're recording this in the COVID times, you know, COVID has had a really big impact on this as well. And I think has shed a lot of light on some of our general obstacles. But obviously, uh, we know that food service heroes are really going so far above and beyond to be serving, you know, really nutrient rich meals during this time. And, and COVID itself is a really interesting obstacle. I think in general, from the food service side, just knowing that farm to school is an option is a barrier. You know, school food professionals are working their buns off to be serving kids with a specific budget and meeting specific meal pattern requirements. And very often with little kitchen infrastructure or not sufficient staff, where the idea of adding in one more thing just feels overwhelming. Or maybe, especially as we're seeing a lot of staff turnover in Wisconsin kitchens, just knowing that it's actually allowed to buy directly from farmers, that that's an option is one of the biggest barriers. And once people learn that it's an option, learn how to ask their vendors for Wisconsin grown or local products or uh, how to hook up with new vendors or buy direct from farmers, then we see that that barrier is pretty easy to overcome. One of the biggest barriers that we have here from the food service and the food system side is that we have a pretty limited opportunities for schools and institutions to buy the minimally processed product that they needed. So it can be hard for a lot of schools to purchase, say, a whole butternut squash. You know, that means somebody has to peel it, somebody has to take the seeds out, and maybe somebody has to cube it. And what we really hear schools asking for is that minimally processed. So it's almost like it's right off the farm, except that some of that work that would be done by people in a kitchen is taken care of through mechanization. And, you know, for us in Wisconsin, we just don't have those processing facilities in place for this scale and for this kind of institutional delivery system, whereas our partners in Michigan really do because they have a really strong specialist crop infrastructure, whereas, of course, we have a great dairy infrastructure. So some of those are really food system barriers that we have to look at. What is our investment in the food system? How are we creating ways for our local farmers to grow more of these things and open more market opportunities in the institutional setting? 
Um, from the farmer side, it can be a little bit harder working from with schools or just getting those first introductions. You know, schools do have different budgets than a lot of other buyers. And also, you know, just some of the communication, it just takes a little bit more to get into that groove. And I think in a lot of ways, that's a perceived barrier. We have a lot of farms and schools that have really great relationships uh, and have figured out how to do that. So that kind of communication piece, adding in one more vendor piece can be really challenging. But once people try it and see how easy it is, then it is something that can really be integrated in. Awesome. Thank you. Next question. As coordinator of the Great Lakes Great Apple Crunch, how have you grown and enhanced event participation over the years? This is... One of my favorite things, the Great Lakes Great Apple Crunch, and we just kind of call it Great Apple Crunch for short now, is so much fun and it really is kind of the highlight of of our farm to school year. We've been doing the Great Lakes Great Apple Crunch for a ton of years. We're approaching a decade and it started when we had a Great Lakes region through the National Farm to School Network with a cohort of six states from Minnesota through Ohio who worked together really closely to advance farm to school. And when National Farm to School Month was first emerging, we kind of thought, okay, what is a thing that we can do as a region to celebrate? And we basically totally copied all of the folks who were already doing a crunch, but we decided to do it regionally. So shout out to uh, Montana and to New York and some partners in Canada who were doing it and were super helpful for sharing materials. Side note, What's great about Farm to School is people share materials for copying all the time. And I think that that is a strength of the movement that um, we are networked and also just really willing to share resources. So we, we really learned a lot from Montana and huge shout out to them. So the first year, you know, we started planning in August, which is only two months away from Farm to School month and thought, okay, we're just going to say we're doing a crunch. We picked a day. We kind of promoted it. We had a little bit of a registration form, but not too much. And uh, it just, it worked. And we were really excited to have this really kind of concise thing that we could do is very clear. So for when farm to school felt really overwhelming to people like, oh, we need to start a garden and we need to make our whole tray local. And uh, we need to be teaching kids in the classroom. This was a really easy entry point to just say, just do this one thing buy local apples, serve them in lunch, do a little celebration, you know, or serve them as your snack or after school. Uh, So it just became very tangible. And we continue to build it out over the years. Uh, We built some really centralized infrastructure. So we have one registration page, one website, but basically rely on all of the amazing farm to school networks in the six states and all of the great partnerships to kind of grow it. So we have some really align central stuff, but basically every state uh, uses it as an opportunity to do network building, to disseminate all the information for people to register and buy apples through their networks. And participation has just grown and grown and grown. I believe not in the, not in 2020, but in 2019, we had 1.8 million crunches in the region. Wow. Congrats. Thank you. It was very, very exciting. We exceeded our uh, goal that year. Um, what and was your goal that year? I want to say it was 1.5 million. Oh, that's amazing. So it was, it's really exciting. Um, and we really worked hard to figure out what to do with the Apple Crunch in 2020 with COVID and decided we would go forward and use it 
as a way to kind of highlight all of the food service heroes and farmers who are still feeding kids and growing food during this pandemic. And we were also hearing that schools really actually wanted something that felt normal. So by offering the crunch, one, it was an opportunity for farms to continue to access that school market amidst all of the chaos and also a chance for schools to do something fun for kids that was part of a really disrupted year as we are all still experiencing. So they bought apples and sent them home in meal kits, gave them out at you know delivery and drop sites. There were a couple sites that did them in places that were in session for school. But it was really heartening to see the value of farm to school to very busy food service folks that they still wanted to do the crunch. And that is one of the reasons that we keep doing it because people kind of keep keep asking for this way to celebrate farm to school. And I think part of how we have grown participation is just through the growth of farm to school. And it has become, the crunch has become a very clear entry point that it's a really good way for states to introduce farm to school to new partners. So we get new schools every year who, you know, when they register, they say, this is our first time doing this. We're new to farm to school. And every year our evaluation shows that, you know, this is the entryway that people have a good experience purchasing local. They see that kids like it, that it fits in their budget. And then they continue to not just do the apple crunch and buy local apples, but to buy other local products. So it's, it feels like a success when we see that it's actually growing farm to school in ways that we can count and that are helpful for states building out their networks. It seems like the Great Apple Crunch is a program that's pretty easily adaptable when schools want to do it. It seems like there's a pretty good set framework, right? That is such a good question, and I think that that really gets to the heart of why it has been successful, is that it's not really prescriptive, right? We give people uh, a crunch guide with a bunch of activities, but a school can scope the event to whatever suits them best. And that is, it makes it easy for us on the planning side of things. We provide people with resources, but we don't spend a lot of time telling people exactly what to do. But schools get to practice that, I would say, fine art of understanding how farm to school fits within their community. And so when people see like, oh, I take this farm to school concept and then kind of mold it to what we need here, uh, they start to learn how flexible farm to school is and that it's not prescriptive, but it's actually about, you know, using these farm to school tools in a way that work best for your school or your early care site. Mm -hmm. And it's fun too, so... It counts for something, right? (laughs) It is really fun. And I think that that's something that we kind of take for granted or overlook is that, you know, these kids really look excited to be eating apples. And if we are getting, you know, this opportunity for kids to be celebrating fruits and vegetables and being excited about eating them, especially if it's something that's really delicious from a nearby farm, that's definitely a win. Mm -hmm. At an early age, you've got to get them eating those fruits and veggies. Gotta yes. start them early. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I'm curious, based on your experience, what have been some best practices that you've found for farm to school programs in Wisconsin? And what sorts of strategies have helped ensure their long-term success? You know, that is a really interesting question. And I think the biggest lesson is that farm to school really kind of ebbs and flows in some ways, depending on what's going on in the environment. So maybe there's a year where 
all of your state agencies are able to promote farm to school and you have a ton of event and experiences, you know, that really can increase kind of like the amount of farm to school in the air and the number of people who are aware of what it is and buying local foods and teaching classes in the classroom and in gardens. And there's some, there's just some years where there's kind of less energy, maybe because there's fewer grants in the state or there's staff transitions, you know, there's all these things. And so I think, or there's um, a pandemic, exactly or there's a (laughs) pandemic so we kind of look at this at the systems level like in the environment of a state or you know a region or a country what helps lift up and increase farm to school versus what's actually helping individual schools increase their ability to be doing farm to school activities and I think kind of at that systems level really figuring out how you get the food from the farm to the school is a really, really important piece of it. And in many cases, it's not something that a school or a farm can kind of fix on their own. It is like that systems approach. And so that's why we are really looking at how do we get more minimally processed foods into the supply chain? How do we get more farmers who are growing vegetables and fruits, for example, at the right scale to then get processed and get into schools? And so I think making sure that those items that are so pivotal to farm to school are there in the right varieties and the right capacity and, you know, on trucks that can actually get to schools and early care centers. You know, we're even learning that like a hospital uses a different size yogurt cup than a school. And there's stuff like that that we don't think about until you really try and dig in deep. And so just thinking about how is the food that we want to get into schools actually available, which, you know, that's where we have a lot of the grants that are looking at supply chain issues, uh, transportation issues, things like that. And honestly, this is going to sound so 101, but just general awareness of farm to school and what it means and how simple it can be is the best practice to help individual districts and schools and early care sites to actually engage in farm to school activities. Uh, Especially now, you know, when everybody is so overwhelmed, just bringing it back to the simple concepts, like farm to school is here. What does that mean? Practice buying one local item for your meal or for your, you know, if you're in fresh fruit and vegetable snack program, like buy one local item for your snack. And we have found that there are some tools that really help people. So having recipes that are creditable for school meals or for CACFP that feature, you know, easy to use local products, that is really, really helpful. And then actually having some of these events like the Apple Crunch. And in Wisconsin, we have the Wisconsin Chili Lunch in February, where it's just like, it's really specific. It's like, do this one thing, and we're all going to kind of gather around and celebrate It helps narrow the choices so that people can kind of focus and not deal with the overwhelm of like, where do I start? What do I do? I don't know. And so just that general information about what farm to school is and like some very simple ways to get started and then having these events that people can kind of get excited about and help move the needle a little bit are what we're finding to be really effective. And honestly, it takes so many people behind the scenes to really move the needle. You know, people in your Department of Agriculture working on the food side of things, people in your Department of Education, um, you know, working on the meal patterns and the menus and educating food service staff and doing trainings. And then, you know, people in general supporting resource development and making sure you have people being connected through newsletters. Like it's a lot behind the scenes to keep people educated, keep that enthusiasm there. 
and realizing it's also just not about kind of farm to school, but also quality school meals, nutritious food going into kids, teaching kids about what it means to put together a lunch tray that's going to support their learning and their health for the long run. And so continuing to have all those people moving behind the scenes to build strong farm to school and strong kids in schools. It's a lot of work, but I think it's also, it is moving the needle. I totally agree. And the lessons that farm to school is teaching are lessons to last a lifetime. You know, they're things that will shape kids' lives for years and years to come. And it can shape their kids' lives and their friends' lives. And the more people know about the importance of farm to school and healthy foods, locally, minimally processed foods, the better off they'll be. So you did mention you're having the chili lunch coming up. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I would be happy to. So this will be our third year of a statewide Wisconsin chili lunch. It is funded through a USDA farm to school grant, which we're super, super grateful for to have the capacity to really roll this out. And it started actually a regional farm to school consortium. They were doing a harvest of the month where they would do a local vegetable or fruit as a side dish. And they're like, we want to, we want to move to center of the tray. We want to do something that's more than just a side dish with a single ingredient. So they worked with their, you know, cohort of school food service leads and came up with a chili recipe. So on the same day, all of their school districts, schools, some early care centers and their two hospital partners serve the same chili with local ingredients that they help to line up through one of their major local distributors that is a co-op that works with local farmers and got a ton of media and everybody was just really excited to have had this day that celebrated farm to school through chili. And they're part of our you know statewide farm to school network and shared the success of this event. And we thought, oh my gosh, can we please steal this and do this as a statewide event? And so we did apply for the USDA Farm to School Grant to have some capacity to do it. And it's really exciting. It's very challenging to think about rolling it out through COVID times, but we're excited that there are over 85 um, school districts, early care sites, hospital, college partners that have signed up. But on the outside, it really looks like a fun way for schools to be part of a statewide farm to school effort and, you know, practice serving a local chili. We have, we offer recipes people can use, but also people can use their own because we know a lot of sites really like relying on recipes that they know will be successful, but the goal is to use as many Wisconsin grown products as possible. Um, So from the outside, it looks like a fun celebratory event, but on the inside, what we're actually using it for is a way to help align supply and demand. So it's really hard when um, every school might be asking for a different local product every month and vendors, you know, only have certain amounts of things. So this way, all of our vendors know that in February, schools are going to be looking for chili ingredients, which includes dry beans, um, you know, a mixed maybe frozen vegetable blend with sweet potatoes and onions and potatoes and things that we and, you know, butternut squash that we grow here. And also thinking about, okay, how do we include cornbread as a side with a local grain and doing a lot of the work behind the scenes to create, you know, a product and vendor guide so that schools and other participants can actually say, these are the farms near me who know about this and might have products I need. These are the vendors who know this event is coming and are trying to uh, help me connect with local product. And we have a couple of partners, uh, Food Hub, Wisconsin Food Hub Co-op and Fifth Season Cooperative and Chippewa Valley Bean, who, you know, our partners going through this, we're actually just trying to figure out, you know, what does it actually take 
to get more of those local foods into schools. So it's behind the scenes, really helping to align those supply chains so that we know really specifically what it means to get enough food on the truck or to make the local choice be the easy choice for school food service for one to say like, I want to do a local chili. I'm going to, it's going to be easy to pick up the phone to do that. So we kind of have this behind the scenes agenda of, of really looking at how do we use it for supply chain development. And it's amazing to have staff time to really look up product lists, help connect people. And I think it really makes us appreciate that value chain alignment, how important it is, how it's really kind of outside the scope of the regular work of a food service professional or a farmer to have that person helping connect people and to strategize how do we make that sustainable over time. So it's not one day a year for the chili lunch, but every day it's just easy for that local choice to be the easy choice when it comes to ordering products. That is fascinating. I like the whole behind the scenes agenda too. Are you contacting those farmers and letting them know that this is coming up? How does that work? That is a really good question. So I am super, super excited to work with my colleague, Brie Feeney, who is focused almost full time on this. And I mean, a lot of what we're trying to do with this grant is even just figure out where does all this information live and how do we communicate it to people? So she is really putting together a list in partnership with our farm to school coordinator at the Department of Ag, a list of vendors, whether it's food hubs, you know, regular broadline distributors, produce vendors, and who are the people letting them know that this event is happening and encouraging them to talk to their contracts about it. And then making that actually as a Google Doc, which is fairly low tech, that it's kind of a live document that anybody who signs up for the chili lunch can access and say like, okay, oh, here's a farm that's selling ground beef near me. I'm going to reach out to them. So Brie is doing a ton of um, reaching out to vendors and to farmers. And a lot of it is matching scale. And oftentimes people kind of have to be wholesale ready in the sense of they have to know how to provide a certain volume, deal with deliveries, deal with invoicing, which can be different than you know going to a farmer's market or running a CSA. But we're trying to kind of even just figure out that system of how many people do we have to call? Will farmers fill out a form? for this information. And it seems to be pretty high touch, but that at least for this kind of like one time event, it does work to have kind of a catalog of who has what products, who to reach out to and stuff like that. But what we're really trying to do is use this as a a learning and research opportunity to figure out how we make this easier for people every day. (laughs) Uh, But Brie is doing an amazing job of not just reaching out to vendors and farmers, but also trying to understand how to make this process more efficient over time also. Huh. That is such a cool idea. And I have no doubts that the Wisconsin Chili Lunch will be a huge success. So (laughs) great job, Vanessa. So earlier we were talking about the importance of the supply chain and really paying attention to those details that can get covered up because they're so behind the scenes. And so one thing that I know about you is you're working to increase market opportunities for farmers and supply chain partners. So in what ways are you helping them do those things? I think a lot of it is touched on by our Wisconsin Chili Lunch strategy and kind of using these events as ways to kind of focus our attention on certain parts of the supply chain. So we have, you know, the apple crunch and the Wisconsin Chili Lunch where 
we know schools are going to be buying a certain product on a certain day and we can help do the alignment there. We are super excited to launch a new grains to institution grant funded project that is starting now where we are going to spend three years figuring out how to get more regional grains into Wisconsin institutions. So that is really focusing on farmers and the supply chain, direct sales from farmers into institutions and really looking at it from what do farms need in terms of on-farm processing, grain processing, delivery, and also what is the food safety and what are the licensing requirements that go into that. And also from the food service side. So what do institutions actually need to know about grains in order to use more? What grains do people use the most already? How do they need it packaged, delivered? And then we're also, I'm really excited about this, creating some new recipes that feature whole grains that will be good for institutional food service and like a how to use grain guide. So not not necessarily recipes, but things like how to use whole grains like wheat berries or buckwheat, or we have a lot of oats here. Like what are some really creative ways to use oats, especially if you're getting them less processed? And maybe, you know, wild rice or featuring some corns that might be part of uh, native communities. And so really trying to figure out what schools need, but also, you know, what's right for the institutional food service market and then also what farmers need. And I'm really, really excited. So that would be an approach that's actually just looking at one product and kind of like figuring out how to get from seed to school. And I think actually the, the main thing is that in Wisconsin, we have kind of taken this approach where we're just understanding that so many of our barriers are within the supply chain that we're actually just looking at them. So our Department of Agriculture has two dairy grants that they're working on right now. One is about how to get more local carton milk into schools. And one is looking at yogurt, looking at clean label yogurt, but also using a yogurt dispenser. And like, you know, how does that all work? And dairy, of course, is its own beast, its own supply chains. So we have a lot of projects here that are actually really just diving deep into the supply chain side of things, um, which is really exciting, because it's helping us really understand what it means when a school is placing an order for yogurt or milk or frozen spinach, what it means for those products to have to get there. And there is so much to learn about the specs that school use, how it fits into the meal pattern requirement, um, how it fits into budget. And also all of this stuff, especially when we get into like our medium and large distributors about how they stock items and how they price items and what delivery looks like and how much costs are added and what is actually realistic to expect to get into a really conventional supply chain when it comes to a Wisconsin product versus when we need to actually be creating new or different supply chains for things. So uh, I think we're we're focused on the long game and sometimes it feels really, really slow and maybe a little frustrating when we know the products are here. It's just that we cannot actually get them into the schools and how to overcome those barriers in a way that is beneficial for farmers and their bottom line. And also, you know, recognizing that our dairy processors and our distributors are also Wisconsin-based businesses. How do we make sure it's working for them as well as, you know, the bottom line for our school budgets and our early care centers as well? That is all so true, Vanessa. And though it can be frustrating focusing on the long game, it's so important. And our supply chain is fragmented in so many ways. And the work that you're doing to strengthen it and unify it is that is essential work, you know? So props to you for doing that. And another thing too is 
I really appreciate how conscious you are of not only the needs of consumers and the institutions, schools, hospitals, where you need to get food, but also the needs and demands of farmers and producers on the other end. So you're doing amazing stuff. And it's seriously been such a pleasure talking to you today. And to end, is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know before we go? Oh, good question. Well, thank you for the time here today. This has been really, really fun, especially as we are really in it in the supply chain development work for Wisconsin Chili Lunch. So it's kind of nice to zoom out and to remember why we're doing this. And I think the last thing is for us to take this time, you know, now we're in January 2021, and we've been through a lot with COVID, but to not think about getting back to normal when it comes to school food or our food system, but using this chance to really take what we've learned and what we've seen from the last almost year when it comes to our food system and use that to create new resilient systems instead of just kind of defaulting back to what was maybe not working so well before. Uh, And right, that's like a real big system approach. And I know we all have a sense of wanting things to just kind of calm down and get back to normal. But I think the question is, how do we leverage this to something new and more resilient for the future and in a way that supports our kids and our farms? And um, how can we shake up the system a little bit? I love that. And I could not agree more, Vanessa. It's not about going back to normal. It's about bouncing back stronger than ever. And like you said, into an even more resilient food system. So thank you for your words of wisdom. That is a great way to end the show. And thank you again for being here. It's been a lot of fun talking to you today. Thank you for listening to the Now More Than Ever podcast, brought to you by the Illinois Farm to School Network at Seven Generations Ahead and made possible through funding from the USDA Community Systems Farm to School Grant Fund. I'm your host, Annie Dysart, and I'll see you next time on Now More Than Ever.